Okay, so we come to a part of a, of a very well-known sermon. Everybody has heard the Sermon on the Mount all their lives. We've heard it preached. We've read it many times. The most famous sermon ever preached. Best sermon ever preached. Why is it Harding with those students? Several of those students memorized the Sermon on the Mount. A couple of the adults did too. And it's like people have done that for years, rehearsed it and talked about it. And you would think then that we have the Sermon on the Mount mastered, wouldn't you? It is still, after all these years, the most challenging sermon ever presented. Uh, we, we consider it maybe Jesus' first full one, at least as recorded. I'm sure it wasn't his actual first speaking, but his first ser full sermon recorded. And it's still hard to understand completely, and it's still very challenging to obey. But this verse, this one little verse packed toward the end of the sermon, it's 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, and this is chapter 7. He drops this one verse that has just perplexed people for years. I don't know that I'm going to uh, help you answer the question to this. Uh, the truths presented this morning are true. I'm just not certain it's what Jesus had in mind, and yet I'm going to take a stab at it. And here's the verse. The first two lines are parallel. They mean the same thing. It helps you to define them. And the last verse is kind of why, right? Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And then he goes on to talk about ask, seek, and knock. You know, he talks about prayer after this. Before this, he talked about the plank in one eye and the, log, and the speck in another eye. So Jesus uses imagery all the time, and he goes zoology on us, and he goes jewelry on us, right? Right in the middle of that, and he moves on, and it's just like you're sitting there. And if I were listening to this sermon, I wouldn't hear the rest of the sermon. He drops this verse, and I'm like, what in the world? And he goes on to talk about different things, including the wise man built his house, and all that stuff. But I'm stuck on this one, this great... What a great image, a pig with pearls. But what in the world does it mean, right? I mean, that's what, I, and so we've been studying this for years. Maybe, you've, again, you've heard it for years. If you've been in the church very long at all, you know the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and you go, what is this talking about? Just one little verse dropped in there like a bomb. Like we would understand it. So we got four questions this morning. What are the pearls? What is the pig and the dog? It's the same thing. It's parallel. The pig, the dog. What, what is the pig and the dog? Why would the pig, after being tossed the pearl, why would he turn around and come at you and charge you and attack you? And then put all that together. What in the world are we supposed to do with this? That's what we come at with these four questions. We, we come to the pearl first. The pearl is a prized, precious jewel, at least to people who know it's valuable. It's a valuable gem that everybody would say, that's valuable. And in fact, whether you think it is or not, you could take it to a pawn shop and they'd say, hey, this is worth a lot of money, right? And so here's a, here's a pearl. It's, it's valuable and precious to certain people. And to other people, they look at that same pearl that you think is priceless and they think it's worthless. It's just a weird thing. Is it valuable or is it not valuable? Matthew 13, Jesus still speaking, still in Matthew, he tells another parable, again with a pearl, and I, I kind of think they belong together. And here's what he says. Again, the kingdom of heaven 
Chapter 13 of Matthew is all kingdom messages and kingdom parallel. The kingdom of heaven is kind of like a, a merchant who went in search of pearls, precious gems that are worth something, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold everything he had to come back and buy that pearl. Jesus says the pearl is worth more than everything else to you and you're willing to trade everything else to get the pearl and he says the pearl is being part of the kingdom of God that's what he means in Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 you're gathered here as a group of people you went to the trouble of getting ready and you came up the hill this morning on the on, uh, early on Sunday morning some even earlier than you at 745 I mean that's how serious they are or nuts, whichever you want to call it. You're starting your week with a trip up the hill to come here with other people to sing songs and gather around a table because you've decided this kingdom is a pearl of great price. It is worth it. You've looked at the kingdom and you say, it's worth everything to me. It is worth everything. And in fact, when you, you decided on the kingdom, when you decided on the king, when you decide to put him on the throne of your life and bow your knee to him and say, your way is the way, and I'm going I'm to confess that my way is sinful, your way is right, and I'm going to be immersed, and I'm going to place you on the throne of my life. When you, you chose that, you decided that this kingdom was like a pearl, and it's worth trading everything for, rearranging my life, and making sure that every Sunday morning I'm up here with everyone else who feels the same way about the pearl. Is that right? Is that you? Is that you, church? You think it's a pearl? You think it's worth it? Jesus said, even if you have to hate your mama in order to keep the kingdom, you'll hate your mama because the kingdom is that precious to you. Is it that precious to you, church? Is it? Is it? I, I'm, I'm not sure. Some people are going away for a whole week to sweat to death out in the middle of nowhere, and they're learning about the kingdom. We rearrange our lives for this, y'all. We traded everything else in for, the for this pearl. And so we know what it is. This pearl is the kingdom of God. And it's precious to us. It's worth reordering our lives for. So who are then the pigs and the dogs? And let me just say this first. This is very uncomfortable to talk this way. He is not calling names. He's using an image to convey a message. He's not calling people pigs and dogs, but he's using a metaphor to describe a certain kind of person. You know that the Jews, you know from tradition, you bring to the text this idea the Jews thought of animals as clean and unclean, the unclean you stay away from, and the most famous unclean animal of all is the pig, right? Pork is completely out of bounds for us. When the prodigal son, you, the depth of his depravity was that he was, he was finally at the end feeding what? He was feeding pigs. That's the depth of how bad he'd fallen, right? Or, or you might remember that legion, cast out the demons. Where does Jesus cast the demons out? Put, goes into a bunch of pigs, because pigs are outside. They're unclean. And so this story would seem to be saying that there's people who are believers, who are Jews, and then there's people who ain't. They're pigs because they don't know the value of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 15, he has this story. Since it's Matthew and since Jesus, again, is doing this, there's this Syrophoenician woman, an outsider, a Gentile, comes to him, I need you to heal my daughter, and Jesus ignores her. He didn't answer her a word. He just completely ignores this woman. It's a rude interaction. 
It's, it's unlike any other story in Scripture, and one of these days we'll deal with it because I find it fascinating, but he just ignores her, acts like he, and the disciples say, send her away, she's making too much noise, but her daughter's sick, how much noise would you make? And she's sitting there just making an appeal, and Jesus finally speaks. I was sent only to the sheep of the house of Israel, I've only sent the Jews. I can't have anything to do with Gentiles. But she came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. And he answered her. He's talking to a woman who's not a Jew, and he says, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it out to the dogs. You're a dog, woman. This is from the mouth of Jesus. He's pitting Jews against non-Jews and calling non-Jews a dog. Same as a pig in this story. But in the context, the biggest thing is this. A person who values a pearl is wanting to share it with someone else. And that someone else looks at what is valuable to the pearl handler and says, I couldn't care less about your pearl. That's what a pig is. It's a person who when they're offered a pearl, the pearl a person wants to share with them what they've got. And they share it with them and that person just looks at it and says, that's not compelling to me. I couldn't care less about this. A pig is a person who looks at the pearl that you've been willing to rearrange your life for and says, don't really care, not interested, it's not for me, and walks away. That's what a dog or a pig is in this story. So you got the pearl, the kingdom principle, the kingdom news of the gospel that we value, and then you've got people you see, as we gather here this Sunday morning, you've got names of people in your head that you wish valued it like you did. You'll come up here on Sunday morning and reorder your life for the entire week according to the pearl that you value, the kingdom. And there are other people who wouldn't waste their time with it. And you've got names of people like that. They are the pig or the dog of the story. That's not their names. That's, their, that's the role that played in the image of this story. But why then, the qu third question, why would the pigs turn around and attack the person? And that's when you, when you start asking why questions, it's kind of hard because there's no pig I can consult and say, why did you do this, right? You can't ask a pig why it does what it does. But my assumption is this. That pig thought this was something to eat. That pig thought, and by the way, pigs eat almost anything. They'll eat almost anything, but they won't eat pearls. And so as, as that pig, as that pig grasps those pearls and finds that, that, is, that that's not good for food, that's not pleasant on my teeth, that's not good for the gums, it's nothing. And, and he just gets mad and he turns. But why, why, why would he get mad at the person who tossed it to them? There's some people in this congregation I differ with on a lot of things. We've got a couple of unregenerates who are Cub fans, namely Ryan and Mike Poppleton, Ryan Altum and Mike Poppleton, and AJ's holding her hand over here, yes, you're being led astray, we're working on it. But you know, we have a disagreement, Cardinals, Cubs, and all that stuff, but you know what, I, 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 it doesn't make me mad at them, it doesn't make me want to attack them. Just because we have a disagreement on this, you might like one movie and this person not likes this, and that's just a personal taste, we all know that. It's not a matter for us to fight about, it just isn't. So why are these pigs then so upset about these pearls that they turn around and they attack the person who's trying to cast it to them? 
Now, you know already, you are the pearl people. Your job is not just to value the pearl, but to promote the pearl. You're pearl promoters in the world. Get that pearl promoters? That just pops, doesn't it? And your job is to share it. But they, they don't value it. But not only do they not value it, do you realize how offensive the gospel in itself is? We act like it's like, well, you're a Cardinal fan or a Cub fan. It really, it's, you know, tomorrow morning, wake up, it's not going to have a whole lot to do with anything we do in life. But you know what happens with the gospel when you, when you present it? Now, we celebrate it. We want to push people. Hey, you need to obey the gospel. We want you to be saved. We want you to be right with God and all that's true. But you've got to grapple with some things before the gospel takes effect. You've got to grapple with, if it's the good news... What's the bad news that makes the good news good? Anybody know what the bad news is? The good news is a good response to a bad truth. What's the bad truth? You are lost. It doesn't mean anything until a person knows they're lost. You've got to tell somebody the way you're living, if you keep going, is going to end you up in hell. You are lost. And that is not, that's an abrasive message. We're so busy celebrating the baptism sometimes that we forget, hey, this calls into condemnation the way you've been living up until now. This is a judgment on the way you've been living. And that's abrasive and that's offensive. And here's the other thing, for them to accept the pearl, they've got to sell everything. They've got to be willing to bow their knee to Jesus and say, you're on the throne, not me. And by the way, the throne of your life, you really like that seat. You really like that seat of the throne of your life. And when you become immersed, you get up off that seat and you usher Jesus down there and say, you're making the decisions of my life now. And not many people like that. That's not good news to a lot of people. So I Last night, you know, we come up here and Mike is doing the baptism of his grandson, Brian. He preaches for like 30 minutes in the water. I mean, you think my sermons are long? I was like, come on, man. Jesus is going to come back and you're in the middle of your sermon. Dunk him now, right? But he was saying some amazingly wonderful things that this grandson needed to hear from his grandfather about what he's about to do. Because this is not just about getting you saved. This is about... Jesus becoming king. You don't call the shots anymore. And as Americans, we hate that message. But that's what baptism does. And it's not good news to the pig who wants to stay there. So do you see why that pig looks at this? When you're tossing, you're tossing the gospel out there, and we should toss the gospel out there, you're saying to people, you're wrong right now. You need to repent of your sin. You're lost and separated from God, and you need to give God the throne, and you need to let him call the shots. That's not a pleasant message. And the pig just gets offended by that and sometimes wants to turn around and say, shut up, I don't want to hear it anymore. That's what the pig says. This thing that you value, they don't. And we live in a world where a lot of people don't value what you do. What is the message of this? 
This has to be the weirdest, because you know what Jesus is saying here, right? I mean, you have the pearl. You've made the arrangement. You've made the trade. You've bowed the knee. You've put Jesus on the throne of your life, and you know that's the best way to live. But we're not just concerned about us getting the pearl. We are pearl promoters. We want to share the pearl with the world because we know the world needs it. Do we know that, church? Do you know the world needs to be in the kingdom? We know it. We're not just here this morning celebrating our kingdom citizenship and, and just telling stories about our pearl. We're not just that. We are people longing for the people not here to get in here. We want them to hear this. We want them to respond to this. And in the middle of a, a thought like this, because here's what we know. God wants all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. You know what I was saying? God wants everybody to take the pearl. And the only way to take the pearl is to listen to the gospel and respond to it. That's the only, the only chance the world has is to hear about the pearl and respond to it. So what does Jesus mean when he says, guys, quit your pearl promotion. Don't cast pearls before pigs. But Jesus, that's the only chance they got. They're going to hell if they don't respond to this. And Jesus, I know, but don't cast it before the pigs anymore. Doesn't that sound wrong to you? Makes no sense to me. And that's the mystery of Matthew 7, 6. Why would he tell us? Shut it down. With at least this person, no more talking about it. You realize that person, here's interpretation number one. Scholars debate this, and I don't know, I don't know what to do with it. And you're like, why are you preaching on it? Because I had to. So here's the first one. To not cast your pearls before swine means this. You realize the kingdom is not of interest. Not because you don't think it will be, but because you've tried before, and they've made it very clear they're not going to respond to it. They know what you have to say. They know what the kingdom is. You cannot predict, you cannot gauge whether a person is a pig or not until you've at least tried to toss a pearl out there. But you've done it, and they show no interest. They do not care. They're not responding. You want them to. You want them to with every fiber of your being, but it's not about you. It's about them. And so what Jesus says is quit tossing it out there. You remember the parable of soils? You cast that seed out, right? You cast that seed out everywhere. Don't worry about where it lands. Don't put a hole and then drop the seed in. Sling it. Cast that seed out. But once that seed has been rejected, quit casting it out. Hush about the kingdom. Jesus prepared us for this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 12. That limited commission. Hey, you guys go out there and preach. You preach to everybody, right? As you enter a house, you greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace fall upon it. If it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you, will not listen to your words. After you've preached them once or twice, shake the dust off your feet and leave. There comes a time, y'all. Quit casting pearls. Don't do it passive-aggressively either. Don't send them Spencer's sermons, hoping that maybe that'll get to them. Don't do that. Quit casting pearls. But Jesus didn't just 
say that. He did it. Here's Matthew, or Luke chapter 23. Herod finally gets a chance to see him. Pontius Pilate sends him to Herod, hoping Herod will take care of it. Herod says, all right, I'm glad. I've desired to see him. I've desired to hear what he has to say. And, and, and so he, he has an audience with Jesus by himself. And he says, hey, what do you have to say? And what kind of miracle are you going to do? And Jesus made no answer. Why? Why did he not put on a demonstration? Why not do some miracles? Why not? It wasn't going to do any good anyway. Herod was obstinate and he knew that. So, don't do that. Paul does the same thing. Look at Acts chapter 13. By the way, this is repeated in every city he goes into. And Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly and clearly saying, it was necessary for the word of God to be spoken first to you Jews. Since you thrust it aside, there's a great phrase, sounds like trampled under the mud. Since you cast it aside, you judge yourselves for eternal life. I'm not making the judgment. You're judging yourselves. We're turning to the Gentiles, and they walk out, and they go to where the Gentiles are. And he does this in every city until they won't hear it anymore. And when they won't hear it anymore, he doesn't stand there and keep preaching. He says, enough of that. I'm going over here. That's what Paul practiced. There are times when you just quit casting the pearls, church. Quit casting it. But that's not the same as doing nothing. The best thing to do with pearls is to wear them. Put them around your neck and wear them. Embody them. Demonstrate them. Model them for the world. Let them see what a difference it made in your life. And what even Peter says to believing women married to unbelieving men, they may be won over without a, oh, come on, without a word. Don't, don't sit there and preach to them all day long. You know, wives, don't do that because they're not listening. But they'll listen to your example. They'll see it modeled year after year after year. And without a word, they'll be won over. And this is how we'll win the world. They will be more impressed if you demonstrate your doctrine than when you demand it. Live it. That could be what Jesus is saying. St. Francis of Assisi says, go, uh, go out and preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. He would say about this, go out and preach the gospel even if you can't use words. Even if you can't. That could be what he's saying, but I want you to look at the text with me because I don't think that's what he's saying here. This is not a sermon about uh, evangelism. There's no evangelism anywhere in the Sermon on the Mount. And what he is saying, if you look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 that we dealt with last time, you are noticing that a fellow brother, a person who also sees the pearl the way you do, you value the pearl, and I value the pearl, and together, we come together, part of our responsibility is to hold each other accountable to the kingdom. Is that not true? I hold you accountable, you hold me accountable. And that's one of the things we're doing as we gather as the church. You value the pearl, I value the pearl. We don't have to, I don't have to convince you you should care about the Lord's Supper. I shouldn't have to convince you to care about sexual immorality. I assume when you walk in the door that we have a common view of what God says in his word. And if we preach a sermon based on this text, and you're a believer and I'm a believer, you're a pearl person, I'm a pearl person, I don't have to convince you to care. You already care. And I expect pearl people to live like pearl people. 
I have to say this to you. When a sermon is preached that's based on the Word, I actually expect you to live it. And it's not because I'm a compelling preacher. It's because it comes from the Word, and we together as Pearl people value this Word. You value it as much as I have, and I don't have to sit here. And, and when I have to go to a Pearl person and convince them they need to come to church on Sunday morning, I'm perplexed. Seriously. You're a Pearl person, and I'm a Pearl person, and I'm trying to convince you that church attendance is important? Give me a break. You're becoming piggy. Seriously. I thought we had this settled. We had it settled at the water. I seriously believe that. I, I hate to tell you that I, I actually expect people to live this way. I expect me to live this way. When I don't, I repent, and you, you repent. I expect us to live this Okay, but here's the thing. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says, You see a brother, a fellow pearl person, who's doing something out of line with our truth, and we both know it. I need to take care of business with me, and I need to get right with God and repent and get the log out of my And then I need to come to you because we are both holding each other accountable to this pearl, right? What happens when I notice an unbeliever, a pig, living in a way that's against what the pearl says we should live? They're living against Scripture. What should I do? And Jesus says, Nothing. When a believer sees an unbeliever living in an unbelieving way, you don't do anything. You don't preach to them. They haven't, they haven't voluntarily entered a covenant uh, that honors that. They're living like they're supposed to. Y'all, we can sit up here at church and bash the world all morning long, and I can get you heated up, and I can get you amening, I can get you excited, because look at how bad the world is. They're being exactly how they're supposed to be. Why does that shock, shock us? You don't judge them. A non-pearl person doing something that I think a pearl person should do, they, they haven't submitted. And this is a hard thing to preach. This is a hard thing to even understand. And I would almost think it just sounds weird. Like, I, I want to go out there and, and preach sermons about abortion in public places. Seriously, what I preach here, I would never preach at Lions Club if I'm invited to go to Lions Club. And the reason is because they're not pearl people. We have a common understanding. We get together here. We preach messages that reaffirm and reinforce our pearlness. But we, we aren't preaching to the world in here. I'm not trying to get at the world here. The world's not here listening. Why would I be preaching to the world here? Now, they're going to overhear, and they know some of our doctrines, but they're not, they're not covenanting with God to live that way. And they've got a bigger problem than just their sexual immorality. They've got a problem of who Jesus is and the authority they're living by. 1 Corinthians. This is where Paul takes up his issue with this. I wrote you in my letter. He wrote a letter we don't have. Not to associate with sexual immoral people. I wrote you that in my letter. And I didn't mean, he's clarifying things, I, I don't mean the sexually immoral of this world. Get this? I wrote you don't associate with sexually immoral people. He says, I didn't mean for you to take that as sexually immoral people of the world. They're not the ones I'm telling you not to associate with. I'm not telling you that. If we did that, we would have to go out of the world and make a utopia. We're supposed to be in the world influencing these people. These are the people Jesus hung out with, like after Matthew was called 
Next line, next screen. But now I'm writing you, I'm a clarifying for you, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. This is harsh. Listen, Americans, this is harsh. But this is the words of Paul, so listen and figure out what he's meaning. When I told you that, I didn't tell you, I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm not talking about the pigs and the dogs that we're trying to reach for the kingdom. Those people, go out and eat with them, associate with them, love them. Don't judge them harshly. Don't pronounce condemnation on them. Just go out and associate with them, eat with them, and try to call them in. Wear the pearls while you're out there, embody it, make them want to live it, but don't judge them. But if it's a believer, if it's a person who handles the pearl like you, and they're saying, I'm a pearl person, and yet they're blatantly living an unrebellious life and unrepentant sin, you don't eat with them, and you don't associate with them. There's a distinction you're making. So it could be wrong for you to eat and associate with a person who's, who is living together before marriage, and it could be, it could be sinful, it could be completely right to eat with someone, associate with someone living together before marriage. How do you know the difference? Who's got the pearl? Pick any of those, greed, drunkards. What, are we, what business is of ours to judge outsiders? You see that verse 13? Those inside the church that we are to judge... God judges the outside. You take care of the inside. When you decide to be a pearl person, you then are subject to other pearl people helping you stay faithful. That's part of the deal. Now let me give you a couple challenges I'm not going to answer, and then we're going to leave this message with you, but I'm just, I want you to grapple with this. A gay couple getting married. If you haven't been invited to one of these marriages yet, you will be. You will be. It's coming. Do you go? It's a hard question for a lot of reasons. But are, start answering this. Does it make any difference? Does your decision and does the, 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 the choice you make about whether you go or not have, any, have anything to do with these following questions? Are they family members of yours? Are they people who submit to the Lordship of Christ? Are they total unbelievers like live next door to you and they've come to respect you as a neighbor and they just want you to be there? Do any of those details matter when it comes to deciding whether you'll go or not? A woman's considering an abortion. You know her, she comes to you, she shares with you what she's thinking, she invites you to share your opinion. And you do. If it's a fellow believer, another person who values the kingdom, does that conversation sound different than a person who has no connection to the kingdom at all? And if she goes through with this abortion, do you respond any differently based on their position on the kingdom? I don't often share posts, but I'm going to share one because I think this captures... The heart of it. You may not be able to see it because it's got to be small to put on one page. The conversation between a secular person, this is an unbeliever, and a Christian. You don't see the history of this context and you don't hear the tone of voice, so you can't know, but I want you to listen to this conversation. The secular person says, I want to do this. Fill in the blank. The Christian says, You're free to do that. The, the unbeliever says, But you think it's wrong. I don't know how they know, but you think it's wrong. The Christian says, yes, I think it's wrong. 
The unbeliever says, because you want to control me. Christian says, no, you're, you're free to do whatever you want. The unbeliever says, but you think it's wrong. Christian says, yes, but only because that's what God says. That's what I put in here. And because I want what's best for you. The unbeliever says, but I want to do this. And the Christian says, well, you're free to do it. The unbeliever says, but I want you to say it's okay. And the Christian says, I just can't. And the unbeliever says, why are you such a hateful, intolerant bigot? Is that hateful and intolerant? Now, the tone could be, but the way I presented it, was it hateful and intolerant? How many would say the way I just said it was hateful and intolerant? It's not. And that's how we have to be. We're not pronouncing judgment on people. We're not pronouncing judgment, casting judgment on anyone. We are embodying our beliefs. We embody our beliefs in front of them. They come to know what they are. When we have discussions, we can share them, but not like Facebook discussions and not like yelling matches. But if we ever get into a discussion, we can share them. So, Jesus would say this. Act like Jesus. Live like Jesus. Expect, this is a second one that's really hard. I expect believers to live like Jesus. I expect Harold and Wanda to live like Jesus. And if I ever see them acting out of line with that, I'm going to do the Matthew 7, 1 through 5 thing. I expect Mitchell and Lori, in whatever context they're in, to live like Jesus. I, I expect Norma and Lyndall Turner to do this. I expect George Hanna to do this. You come to church and when I see your face, I'm assuming you're living like Jesus. I want you to know, I, I'm counting on it. I, I need to see you, and I need to come together with other people because there's times when I get real weak about this, the resolve to do this, and I look in your eyes, and your expectations flow to me, and we get together to remind ourselves of this pact. We are living like Jesus together. I need you to. And if you're casual and disregarding of the real essence of the gospel, and you say, well, it doesn't matter, grace is going to cover me, and you're being sloppy with it, be careful. This church needs you to live like Jesus. But listen, here's the third one from what Jesus says. Don't demand unbelievers to live like Jesus. They can't. They're going to dress like unbelievers. And you're not going to say a thing. They're going to live like unbelievers, and you're not going to say a thing. They're going to act like unbelievers, and you're not going to say a thing in judgment. But make them want to. Make them curious about it by the way that you embody this. Make them attracted to the faith. Just wear those pearls. My mom would always say this about other women. She'd say, the thing is, they can look nice, but don't draw attention to themselves. I, I, if you've got a nice set, some, some jewelry that's really nice, don't throw it out there and say, what do y'all think about this? Right? That's not what you do. You wear it. And that dignity that it gives you makes other people ask about it. That's what we're supposed to do with the pearls. Wear them, church. Wear them. Admonish other pearl wearers to wear them. Urge them to. 
But don't say anything about the pearls to the world. Let them just watch. Let you just see them. Let them see it on you. Let them see it adorned on you. Let them marvel at it. Let them be impressed with it. Not because you're out there bashing them. Not because you're judging them or casting some kind of word of, of, of criticism on them for behaving like the world. Just let them see you wearing it and being impressed by it. And then maybe, maybe they'll even say, I need to try those on. They're more likely to do that than to be judged into the faith. Think that's what Jesus is saying. There's your mission for the week. Live like Jesus yourself. Don't expect unbelievers to. But you live like Jesus and make them want to do the same. This morning, if you need to respond... You need to make Jesus Lord of your life. You've heard in this sermon what you're expected to do, so I expect you not to. Who in the world wants to take that burden on them? If you know what the pearl is, it's worth doing. And if there's anybody ready to take the pearl, it's here for the taking as we stand as we sing.